So, Mark. Yes? As we'll discuss, this week's movie, for most of its runtime, is a faux-lationship movie, where they're not actually dating. Yeah, it's a can't-buy-me-love situation. Very much so. One of the moments where this turns from a faux-lationship into a real-lationship... I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) ...is when our lead characters, Charlie and Kat, played by Owen Wilson and Jennifer Lopez, have sex to the score of Lerner and Lowe's classic musical Camelot. An interesting soundtrack, to say the least. Yeah. I mean, it's also kind of weird because it's like he shares this musical in connection with his mother. That's why it's special. So, I don't know. I mean, Camelot is a musical and a story in general that's very concerned with sex. Like, who's having sex with whom? And will they still be able to find the Holy Grail? And (laughs) what mysterious children will turn up? Yeah, that normal concern that we all have on our wedding night. If I have sex, I will not be able to find the Holy Grail. Yeah, so you have to weigh your priorities every time. Oh no, I thought Guinevere was in the next room, so I had sex with the lady there. Turns out it was someone else. Now I have a child. Now I can't find the grail. It's tough being Lancelot. I should watch Camelot. Or at least, you know, read about it. (laughs) I've seen it on stage once. I don't remember how much of the, like, once in future king sex shenanigans make it in there. But some of it's in there. Yeah, I mean, you can't have it without that. Because the whole Lancelot and Guinevere part is a big part. Right, it's central to the musical. Yeah. But, like, I don't think Mordred shows up. Well, that's a shame. The one who betrays Arthur. Um, Mark, you might not know this, but there is a long tradition of vaguely Arthurian stuff mixing in with X-Men. Why am I not surprised? (laughs) Because everything does. It's the kind of thing that, like, nobody will talk about for 15 years, and then some writer will come on and be like, this is what everything is about for now. And Was uh, Arthur a mutant? No, Mordred is a mutant. Ah, yes, of course. So that's where we left things, and then the book went on hiatus for three months, so I won't know what's going on with that until April. Ah, that sounds kind of fun, honestly. It's pretty good. Anyway, what I wanted to ask you was, it might be Camelot, it might be something else, what is the best musical to have sex to? I mean, so my first thought, of course, Legally Blonde. (laughs) 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 I don't know why. I haven't listened to the soundtrack, but I think it would be really funny to have Oh My God playing as you were having sex, but it's about something else. Oh my God, oh my God, you guys. Looks like elves going to win the prize. If there ever was a perfect couple, this one qualifies. Oh my God, you guys. Basically, all I know of the Legally Blonde soundtrack is the Oh My God refrain, which played constantly on the radio when... Legally Blonde, the musical, first came to D.C. when I was, like, in ninth grade. And then that horrendous, like, children's production of it where the opening number is on YouTube. And it's hysterical because it's, like, right at that age where kids are wildly different heights. (laughs) Yeah, I love that video so much. And I feel bad laughing at children trying their best. But, my God, that video is so funny. Well, part of the joke of it is that, like, It was very gamely edited by someone trying to make it look good, but you can watch, like, people switch costumes between shots where it's, like, clearly taken from multiple nights. And also, Elle is just, like, a whole head taller than everyone else. It's very funny. But I also had a thought. To make sure that you and your partner are on the same page, you just have Cell Block Tango softly playing (laughs) in the background to remind them that that's always an option.
I mean, that is one of like that's one of the better songs you could use for this. Yeah, I I did struggle with this question because it is not the most sexy or sexual of genres. Another one that made me laugh out loud in my head was Hamilton. Yes, I mean, in that spirit, I just can't get uh, getting married today from company out of my head with this. I'm imagining, <laughs> I'm imagining someone trying to have sex to that. Listen, everybody, look, I don't know what you're waiting for. A wedding, what's a wedding? It's a prehistoric ritual where everybody promises fidelity forever, which is maybe the most horrifying word I've ever heard, and which is followed by a honeymoon where suddenly he'll realize he's out of the net and want to kill me, which he says, listen, thanks a bunch, but I'm not getting married. Go have lunch, because I'm not getting married. You've been grand, but I'm not getting married. Don't just stand there. I'm not getting married. And don't tell Paul, but I'm not getting married today. Go- I mean, it would change. You would have to set the pace very quick. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting in that like musicals are all about these heightened emotions. They're all about like capital L love, but you don't really have sex in musicals. <laughs> so there aren't really numbers that go with it, except for like Avenue Q. You can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making love. You can be as loud as the hell you want when you're making Yeah, I mean, I think one thing is musicals don't have a rating system. So you can't go too explicit unless it's like you're going fully explicit. It's the production code mindset. Yeah, it's basically like you can do something that is so blatant that people will know not to bring their children. Or you have to keep it relatively chaste no matter what it's about. That's interesting. And honestly, as I was thinking about this, I actually more and more found myself more in the category that the movie does, which is like, you know, those like golden age musicals of like the 40s to the 60s kind of might be the best ones for this. You know, something like Oklahoma, because at least the musicals that I like today, there is a frantic quality to the wordplay. (laughs) They are almost all fast, the good ones. So going back to something where it's like the music is rock solid. But it's just these kind of like softer melodies reliably across most of the album. So that you just put it on and you're like, this will take us through the night. And hopefully you're done before you get to, we know we belong to the land. (laughs) Because, I mean, the thing is, the musicals where I will listen to the soundtrack are like title of show sometimes next to normal. Nice uh, uh, sexy nice, album if there ever were one. <laughs> nice little my psychopharmacologist in me in the background. So often passing and this war and Xanax. Death of Not exactly the most upbeat one, that one. So this is harder. You know, it's funny. Like, I laughed at the movie. The more I think about the question, the more I'm like, Camelot's a pretty solid yeah. option. I mean, if you are forced to do this, Camelot, you could do worse than Camelot. But also, you don't have to play a musical soundtrack when you have sex. No one's know. stopping you from turning it off. Well, I, I guess assume does. that you do. We're never told what's playing when they have sex any other time. It's true. I mean, we also don't know if they do it more than once. Canonically. That, okay. Oh, there is only one time on screen that they say, let's go have sex. Yes, it is true. <laughs> but there are certainly other times where it's implied. I, we're, I'm excited to get into this because I did lose track of the time frame sometimes. And I was watching this yeah, I think the movie pretty did. closely. <laughs> so let's start the show and get into this. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the least important issue facing our world. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? 
And can we stay relevant by covering movies that came out last week? The answer is usually kind of. And also, are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is the main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, we are taking a look at the brand new romantic, maybe comedy, Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson in theaters and streaming on Peacock right now. I did watch this on Peacock. Um, How was that? They did not play commercials during it, which was very nice. Oh, that's good. Uh, but they did have some beforehand. good with ads. Even when there are ad breaks, there's not a lot of them and they're decently well-placed. Yeah, I also do like when they have, you know, the whole, I don't mind if they do five beforehand, like five ads beforehand, but then you don't get any in the middle because you just leave the room. Yeah, that's a fair trade-off. So I saw Marry Me in theaters, like, opening night, Friday night, with Mm. my fiancé and her parents. I have to say, I enjoyed it. I think this movie is pretty good. I think this movie doesn't push any boundaries by any stretch of the imagination. But it was exactly what I wanted it. It was fun. It was shockingly down to earth. So that's the thing. I think the secret genius of this movie (laughs) is that it has an absolutely ludicrous premise which is that jennifer lopez is performing on stage when she finds out that her fiance has been cheating on her and she sees owen wilson holding a sign that says marry me which is the title of her song and she says okay hauls him up on stage and then marries him immediately it takes that ridiculous premise and then says okay once that happens what if Everybody involved reacted in the most reasonable adult way possible, just trying to get through this situation. I just, I was so happy when they acknowledged that the ceremony on stage is actually not legally <laughs> yes! binding. And they, they didn't sign any paperwork because I thought it was going to be like, oh, he's they're worried he's going to sue her for half her money. And then he goes home and they're just like, well, there's nothing legally binding here. So we don't actually have to worry. We can get yeah. him a check for 5G and I'm sure he'll leave us alone. And then when he's like, yeah, I didn't think I was getting married. She was clearly having a nervous breakdown. And I was like, okay, I can help her get through this. <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole movie. The whole movie is just like, we're all adults here. Like, we don't have to pretend <laughs> that this is real. It's so funny how grounded every performance is in this movie. And that's where I'm like, it's maybe not even a rom-com. It might just be like a romantic, like, melodrama. Because, like, the plot It's never in the service of jokes. Like, the closest thing is, like, Sarah Silverman popping up every once in a while. Yeah, it's not really a romantic comedy. It's just a romance. It's just a romance movie. And I liked it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I understand why it's getting mixed reviews from the critics. And I understand why a lot of people wouldn't like it. But as someone who enjoys rom-coms and hasn't watched one in a while, or even, like, just a run-of-the-mill romance movie who hasn't seen one in a while, it it checked the boxes I needed it to check. Right, especially, like, seeing it in theaters, which was awesome, and, like, people should go see this movie in theaters because it's designed to be watched that way. Like, I can't think of the last time I saw a contemporary set romance about adults in a movie theater. I mean, I will say, also, the music genuinely good it's good okay i was worried that you weren't gonna think so no in part because you know much more about music than i do no so like even my dad 
for my dad was he was gonna go play playstation but then there was a big update so he couldn't go play and then he comes into the room and is just occasionally throughout the he's playing word like word finder or whatever on his phone and the kids will just be like i don't like this movie and my mom are like dad there's three other tvs in this house that you could be like <laughs> watching something else but he just stays in the room and then after he goes that was bad but actually the music was good though oh wow so I think the music is, I mean, it's J-Lo and Maluma. It's two fantastic artists, so. Yeah, so I'm going to put cards on the table. I did not know who Maluma is, and I do not know that I had heard of him before I saw this movie. I I will put my cards on the table, and the first I heard of Maluma was when he was featured on a Madonna song on Madam X, her, like, weird rebranding album where she had an eye patch. Right, we talked about that on the podcast, and I used that as another example to talk about X-Men. Yes, so I have not actually, like, sought out his music, but I do know that he is a very famous, very popular, and very good singer. Yeah. Um, he is apparently a voice in Encanto last year, the movie that everyone likes more than I do. And he has apparently been cast in Sing 3 as well. So more Maluma coming down the pike. I enjoyed Encanto. I think it is fine. It is fun. I think Luca was better. I think the Mitchells versus the Machines was better. But I think Encanto will probably win the Oscar. Yes. My, like, crazy take is that Encanto is both the worst animated movie released by the Walt Disney Company and the worst Lin-Manuel Miranda movie of 2021. I don't think it's the worst Disney movie by any stretch of the imagination. Of 2021, I said. Oh, so the of 2021 applied to both. I was just like, okay, that is a bold stance to take that this is worse than Chicken Little. (laughs) Mark, I have watched all of the package films of the 1940s. I saw Chicken Little in theaters. (laughs) Yeah. One day I will see Home on the Range. You are taking a hard stance, but of 2021 makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I preferred Raya. I preferred Luca. Still haven't seen Raya. I think it's good. The real crazy thing is in my thing that Encanto is the worst Lin-Manuel Miranda movie of last year because I am weirdly high on Vivo, the animated musical he did for Sony that then got dumped to Netflix. I haven't watched Vivo either, but... I think it's good. I... I don't know. Encanto was fun enough. I think it's fine. It's the weird thing of like... I don't, like, hate it, but because I don't love it the way that a lot of people, especially my students do, I develop, like, I get the reputation of, like, the guy who doesn't like Encanto, and I'm just like, I think it's middling. Yeah, I mean, that is one problem when you have, you get into that situation a lot where you enjoy a movie fine, but your students are obsessed, and then it also kind of crystallizes you against the movie in some ways. Yes. (laughs) See, also, Venom. Right. (laughs) I should watch Venom. Look. You would like the good parts of Venom. That's the thing, is I feel like I would enjoy the... I mean, I've also heard it described as a rom-com between him and the symbiote at times. And the problem of Venom Let There Be Carnage is that they spend too much time letting there be carnage and not enough time on the relationship between Venom and Eddie, which is great. Yeah, so that is why I have no interest in Carnage, but I am intrigued by Venom. Yeah. What I do have interest in is the 2022 film Marry Me. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad because I saw this thing a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I saw this last night. Right, but so I texted you when I left the theater and I was like, marry me, good. And then I like had a week to be like, oh my God, Mark better like this movie. I mean, can we talk about how good J-Lo looks in this movie? Amazing. Her outfits, they did a great job costuming her. The only dud for me was her what she wore to the school dance. I thought it was fine. Yeah. But most of her other looks in this movie are just top tier. Yes, absolutely. 
and there's a thing where like J-Lo is very much having a cultural moment right now. Well, I mean, also, I ha- was looking at it, and she was named, like, one of, if not the most powerful actresses in 2012, so it's not like she has not had many cultural moments. Oh, she absolutely has had yeah. many, but... I didn't realize of, that. <laughs> you go back to, say, Hustlers, mm-hmm. where she has this incredible performance in Hustlers. It gets a lot of Oscar buzz, doesn't get a nomination, and then... Not long after that, there's the, like, the renewal of the Ben Affleck romance. That, oh my god. <laughs> I don't care if that's a PR stunt. It's a great PR stunt if it's it is. It's awesome. Yeah. Mark, here's a wild thing. Remember when Ben Affleck met Ana de Armas on a movie set and they started dating? And there were all those things of, like, during the pandemic, like, Ana de yeah. Armas or Ben Affleck, like, taking out the trash and stuff like that. That movie comes out next month. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh my god, really? What yeah. movie was it? That relationship fully ended. Affleck is in a new relationship that we all care about much more. Yeah. I mean, it's Benefer. It's the original yeah. Benefer. Can you believe there's two Benefers? With the same Ben. Yeah. It's crazy. But there's also the fact that, like, this movie, to me at least, fits into a meta-narrative with Jennifer Lopez, like, sort of asserting her identity at this point in her life and her career. I think it's worth noting... The last rom-com she starred in, in December of 2018 or 2019, was literally called Second Act. Yeah, I heard that that was not good. I didn't see it. Me neither. But there's like, I think there is something very conscious in the way that she selects these projects. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't like four J-Lo movies a year. There's like one every year or every other year. Yeah. But I mean, she definitely, she chooses. She is not someone who is just like, hey, I'll do a movie. In a movie. She is very selective. And that doesn't mean it always works. No. But I also, I didn't really realize, I didn't put together that she went dancer, actor, singer. She was not a singer who decided to act. She was an actor who decided to release music. Yeah. I mean, those careers start taking off at similar points in time. Mm -hmm. But like, she was in Selena before she released her first album, which... That surprised me. I assumed it was because she was a singer that she was cast in Selena. There's also a thing with her where even though she has some of the acting roles early, the world she's operating in at that point leans more musically. Where, like, at that point, like, she's dating P. Diddy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I always forget that. (laughs) she's anchored to the music world in that way Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, the circles that she's running in. And that, I mean, she was also married to Mark Anthony, of course. Right. Post-Ben and pre-Ben. I do love that they're spinning this relationship as, like, it was always meant to be in PR. Again, I love it. They should do another movie together. They should. They're both maybe the best they've ever been. Yeah. I just love all the highlighting. Like, they never said anything negative about each other in the press. They always maintained a good relationship. They're selling Ben got zero giant back tattoos after they broke up. It's true. That Jennifer Garner divorce broke him so visibly. I mean, it literally did to a point where, like, I don't know that it was the divorce, but he had some pretty substantial struggles with alcohol around that time where, like, around the time he was Batman, which was itself, I can imagine, a pretty depressing thing given the reaction at the time to, like, his casting and his performance. I think he's kind of good as Batman. He's just never in a good movie as Batman. Yeah. I mean, I think Ben Affleck needs to be doing more, you know, adult dramas again. Did you see, um... What's the basketball movie he made? I don't know. Probably not. I don't think... I'm I sure don't know. you did not. I can't tell you the last Ben Affleck movie I have seen, to be honest. Uh, the Way Back. It came out 
in like March of 2020. So everybody watched it on streaming or not at all. I think it's on HBO now. It's really good. It's the kind of like basketball coach has to get a team together movie that came out from Disney like once a year when we were growing up. But it's really good. There's a meta narrative there where like the coach is like dealing with alcohol and stuff like that. And then last year he has the tender bar, which I did not see. And the last duel in which he is incredible. Oh, he was in the last. I need to watch that one. He is. Okay. First of all, the last duel, it's on HBO. So get on that. It rules. Ben Affleck plays the Lord of the region of France where all this is going on. And, like, he's friends with Adam Driver. And it's just, like, him, like, literally screwing around. It's, like, anytime you get to Ben Affleck, he's just, like, having sex or about to have sex or immediately post-sex and just, like, wearing fancy clothes and being, like, why can't you all just chill out? I mean, I think I listened to a podcast episode about the real story behind that, and that does kind of sound like the position of the Lord at the time. The movie is so good. Affleck is so good in it. There's a weird school of people out there who hate that movie because they're like, why did they take all of our like hot movie stars and make them look ugly? And I'm like, just watch the movie. They all rock in it. It's I mean, so fun and funny and weird. Everything was ugly at that point. <laughs> yeah. You know what? They didn't have like face masks showers deodorant like come on yeah give me a break the concept of bathing as a good thing yeah you know who has never had a bath is matt damon in the last duel (laughs) well anyway back to marry me um owen wilson coming back i enjoyed it i don't know lightning mcqueen himself lightning mcqueen co-writer of the royal tenenbaums yeah and you know continuing to do the wes anderson thing he was in the french dispatch last year yeah i know he like took a break but i kind of I guess he didn't really actually take a break, but he took a break from big movies. But I'm glad he is doing this kind of movie again. I'm glad we have this kind of movie again. Yeah. It looks like he did not appear in a movie between 2017 and 2021. Oh, yeah. Why am I also not surprised that one of his first ones back is a Wes Anderson movie? Those two. Yeah. You just kind of ease back into things. Um, And it looks like uh, later this year, he will be a priest in Disney's new Haunted Mansion movie. I can't believe they're doing another one. Going back to the well. I think you get away with it because the first one was bad and has no cultural memory. Well, yes, that is true. I don't know anyone who remembers fondly the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie. But also, like, if you're going to go back to properties, that's what you should do. You shouldn't be, like, making another Ghostbusters movie. You should say, like, what's a thing that didn't work that we can take another whack at? Yeah, I mean, I did... I was listening to another podcast about the Amityville horror and the reason that they can keep going back to that well is because the idea of just a haunted house is the easiest thing to build a story around. Yeah, and it's a thing that you can do well as true horror or as comedy. The most recent Amityville horror movie is about a haunted vibrator. That's awesome. They are willing to license that property to anyone. Oh, that's the Owen Wilson thing I forgot. He was like the second lead of the Loki TV show. Oh, I didn't want... Was it good? It's kind of good. Yeah. The premise of the Loki TV show is in Avengers Endgame. Do you know the plot of Avengers Endgame, Mark? Um, That's the one where people disappear, right? So they disappear at the end of Infinity War. At Endgame, the first sequence... Spoilers for uh, the biggest movie of all time. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, they build a rocket. They find Thanos... Thor smashes his head in with a hammer. They're like, we did it! And then nothing changes. Like, all the people are still gone. And before they killed him, Thanos said, like, he destroyed the Infinity Gauntlet. So they couldn't undo it. So then the movie goes five years later. So there's a five-year time jump in Avengers Endgame. All Marvel stuff since then has been set in 2024. 
And they, like, have all split apart. They haven't been able to decide what to do. And the solution they come to is they have to build a time machine to go back in time to all the other Marvel movies to get the Infinity Stones where they appear in the other Marvel movies. So it's a heist into the other Marvel movies to then come back and undo the events of the previous one. I really don't regret stopping watching Avengers movies after the Avengers. Let me tell you, it sounds sweaty. It's astonishingly well executed and it's pretty fun, especially because the movie so much functions as like the final chapter of like a decade long thing. So it's like bringing it all together in a way that works pretty well. But anyway, they go back obviously to 2012's The Avengers and in it, they accidentally free Loki who was captured at the end of that movie. And then he like grabs a thing and disappears like, just vanishes. So the Loki TV series is the Loki, not the Loki of the later movies, but the Loki of 2012's The Avengers gets arrested by the time cops because he's causing too much trouble in the time stream. So they're like, look, every once in a while, something branches off from the timeline it's supposed to be in. So we just have to, like, incinerate them, and then we restore time to the way it's supposed to go. So it's Loki trying to, like, investigate broken timelines while Owen Wilson is the, like, time cop functionary who's trying to deal with him. I gotta say, I love the concept of time cops whenever they show up. Of course, in Gravity Falls, when they show up, they take the form of giant time babies. That's good. When this group, the Time Variance Authority, was created in Marvel Comics, all of the people who worked for it were designed to look like one guy who looked at Marvel who just really knew continuity. That's that's really funny. I appreciate that. Yeah. So that's what Owen Wilson's been up to. Yes. So I assume there's not a ton out about the production of this movie, considering mm-hmm. it came out last week. Yeah, not really. So it's directed by Kat Quaro, who directed three barely released rom-coms at the start of the 2010s. Like, one of them went straight to IFC. And has mostly done sitcoms since then. She directed a bunch of episodes of Shameless, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Always Sunny. She did the pilot of Girls 5 Eva. Our favorite show of 2021. Oh my god. Season 2 coming theoretically at some point. And she directed, back to the Marvel thing, multiple episodes of the upcoming Tatiana Maslany She-Hulk series. I do love Tatiana Maslany. She-Hulk is fun. As long as they do fun She-Hulk and not boring She-Hulk, which is a problem with all comics characters. (laughs) That they can be both fun and boring? Yeah. I have hope for that, in part because there was a very well-liked She-Hulk series like six or seven years ago that was fun, and it's like, well, pull on the recent thing that people like. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be the MCU's go-to move, though. I mean, it, it, they sure do love to pull on recent stuff, I'll say that. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, who wrote this movie? So the movie's credited to three writers, all of them mostly TV writers. Uh, John Rogers has worked on like a bunch of procedurals. His last movie credit was Transformers. Like, the original Transformers in 2007. Uh, Tammy Sager, who worked on 30 Rock, Mad TV, Orange is the New Black. And Harper Dill, who worked on The Mindy Project and The Mick, that Caitlin Olsen sitcom for Fox. That wasn't bad. I never saw it. It but really so wasn't three terrible. TV writers, and it's based on a webcomic by a writer-artist named Bobby Crosby that I had never heard of. I looked it up. It seems kind of, like, manga-influenced. You can't read it online anymore. They just sell it in paperback volumes. That all makes sense, honestly. There is a certain TV quality to there, this movie. Yeah, I feel like TV is a place where a extremely heightened 
premise with a more grounded execution is more common than in movies because you have to keep it going for longer. So you start with something ridiculous and then it builds into just a normal TV show. Yeah, and there's like there's some weird stuff in the direction of this. There are like some really weird shot compositions at times. Yeah. But it doesn't look like TV in the way that something like I Want You Back, which is the new rom-com on Amazon, looks like TV. Have you seen that, Mark? No. Is that a movie? I thought that was a TV show. No, it's a movie. It's fun. Oh, the one with Charlie Day. It's Charlie Day and Jenny Slate. Yeah. And it's like, it's basically Strangers on a Train as a rom-com. Right, where they're trying to get their exes back. They're trying to get their exes back. So each of them has been left for someone else. So -hmm. there are two new relationships. And so they agree to break up each other's exes' relationships. So that there will be deniability and drive the original couples back together. It's probably the funniest rom-com. We're talking about Marry Me, which is like marketed as a rom-com, but not really a comedy at all. I Want You Back is the funniest romantic comedy, at least since The Big Sick. Maybe we should cover it. It sounds like there are lots of relationships to discuss. There certainly are. It's a good time. But that, to me, looks like TV in the way that so much streaming content looks, where like it's very bright without having a particular color scheme. So you just have like a lot of colors going by, but there's not really an order to it. And it just kind of feels like, you know, Netflix pioneered this like, you know, designed to keep you like happily hitting autoplay Mm -hmm. as opposed to having a distinct aesthetic of its own that sets it apart from the other stuff on a surface. Right. And I don't think Marry Me traps into this. Like there's a clear color scheme to this. They're very cool costume designs. Yes. And the costumes are all very similar in color. Yeah, except for maybe the, the latex nun costumes. Yeah, those those were fun. <laughs> yeah, I thought you would like those. Yeah, those really stood out from the rest of the movie. And it's incredible when the scene starts with those. It's like, boom, let's go. I know, that's like her, that's the concert. Latex like, opens with that. This movie coming out a full year after it was supposed to. It was announced in 2019 for a February 12th, 2021 release date. And then because nobody was going to the movies in February 2021, it then moved to May of last year and then circled around to February of this year, which is the right time for it to come out. I wish that it were making more money. Hopefully it's doing well on Peacock. I mean, it's pushed on Peacock. Yes, but so are the Olympics. Well, yeah, once those end, I feel like this will probably continue to be pushed. Hopefully. I mean, it's a big project for Universal in that, like, they also put out this soundtrack through Universal Music and Sony Latin. So, Mm -hmm. like, they wanted this to be a thing. And it wasn't, like, a super expensive movie, at least in terms of production. It's $23 million. Feels like a good value for that. Mm -hmm. But you just want something like this to be a hit so that there's more like it. Right. One of the things I love about this movie is that Maluma and J-Lo talk to each other in Spanish at times because it gives it a much more realistic quality. Yes. It's things like that. They do so many things that just kind of ground this in realism for a movie with one of the bizarrest premises. That's what's great about it. That's why I like it. Yeah. I think there could be more attempt to kind of, you know, subvert the genre or something in some way. But also it's so enjoyable. It goes down so smooth. Yeah, it's doing what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, there are some other things in the works. Jennifer Lopez does have another like romantic comedy coming out later this year called Shotgun Wedding, which is apparently an action rom-com. So we'll see how that is. Lionsgate's putting it out. Hmm. It's her and Josh Duhamel. Yeah. I don't know. There's some fun movies on the horizon. Yeah. What in particular are you looking forward to? I know you have not been to the movies a ton so far this year. Yes. Um. What are the big releases that are coming this spring? I can't remember. There are definitely uh, some I'm excited about. The Northman. 
Yes, I am excited about The Northman. The new Viking movie from Robert Eggers. Part of me wants to watch Gal Gadot fill the Nile with champagne. Okay, champagne. Here's a, I have seen Gal Gadot fill the Nile with champagne. I saw it this past week. Mm-hmm. It is the kind of thing where, like, it's hard to mess up Agatha Christie as long as you're doing the basic beats of Agatha Christie. Yes. Like, it will hit a baseline level of enjoyable. The movie doesn't really rise above that. Okay. In part because... Did you see Murder on the Orient Express? No, I didn't. So Branagh loves him some excessive CGI in these movies. Like, it's all digital environments, basically. Yeah, I've noticed that in the commercials. It's the trailers. It's weird. And I think it's even worse in this one than in the first one. Because in the first one, still, most of it is on the interior of the train. Mm -hmm. Whereas this one, you're just, like, constantly staring at digital environments beyond the boat that, like, don't look like they fully work. Yeah. And... It's, like, even more self-indulgent, where like the first one is like, ah, yes, I am Hercule Poirot, and I am the greatest detective, and I directed this movie. And this one does a lot of that, and it tries to, like, have its cake and eat it, too, where, like, Letitia Wright, one of the many canceled people in this movie since they shot it. Oh, my God. Letitia Wright is like, nobody is more vain than you, and he's like, perhaps I am vain, but I will solve this murder. But the movie begins... With a black and white sequence shot exactly like Belfast. Like, the movie started, and I turned to my fiance, and I was like, you know this is Branagh, right? Like, he directed it? And she's like, no, I didn't. I was like, okay, because this looks exactly like Belfast. And she was like, yes, it does. And it is a black and white sequence set during World War I that explains why Poirot grew his mustache. I mean, Agatha Christie wrote that Poirot was, you know, self-indulgent and full of himself and made fun of him for it, but that is too far. It's so funny. And not in the way that they would want it to be. Oh my god. I just kept thinking of James Coco and Murder by Death, like the whole movie. Yeah. So now that you've seen it, spoiler alert, jump ahead a few seconds. Uh, Gal Gadot's character is the one that dies quickly, right? Yes. Like, she is the murder victim, so you don't actually have to deal with her for that long in the movie. She's fine in the movie. Her job is to be pretty and rich, so she she does it. (laughs) Yeah. And... I mean, champagne will live in my head forever. Yeah, I think the movie made me want to go and watch better Agatha Christie movies. Yeah, or the TV shows. Those are usually good. There was a good one with Bill Nighy that was like three episodes on Amazon. I did think of a couple movies I'm excited about this year. Okay. Are you excited to see Uncharted, which I am seeing in 40X as soon as we finish this recording? No, I am not. Um, But I am excited to see the Bob's Burgers theatrically released film. Have you seen the trailer for that? Yes, I think it so. It throws me off every time. I've reached a point where around the time the Matrix trailer came out, I was like, you know what? This will be more fun if I see it for the first time in a theater. So I no longer watch trailers on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I just wait until they show up in front of me in a movie theater. So like, I have not seen the trailer for Jordan Peele's Nope yet, mm-hmm. which premiered like a week ago. But the Bob's Burgers trailer starts off looking like a commercial for like Carl's Jr. <laughs> And every time it turns up at the theater, I'm like, what is this? I am also excited because theoretically, Tomb Raider 2 comes out this year. Tomb Raider! We've all been trying to figure out when Tomb Raider was going to be released. And it turns out we were having trouble because it was a color puzzle. (laughs) The trailer you have to access through a color puzzle alone. It's a color puzzle. I... Love that movie. (laughs) I'm so excited. Especially because she has the guns now. Uh, That was a great sting. 
Yeah, to good end, movie. Just to end the movie with the two pistols, what more do you need? Um, I thought that there was a release date on this for the spring, but it's not on Wikipedia, so who knows. The new Ari Aster is also coming out this year, Disappointment Boulevard. Oh, I mean, they may have pushed it, let's be real. Yeah, but I'm just, like, there's very little information about it. It's, quote, an intimate, decades-spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time. Is it a real entrepreneur? Is it a fake one? Don't know. Stars Joaquin Phoenix who's good when he's used well, and I kind of trust Ari Aster for that. The supporting cast is Nathan Lane, Patti Lapone, Amy Ryan, Parker Posey, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Zoe Lister-Jones, Richard Kind, Meryl Streep. Oh my god. Ari Aster got Meryl Streep? Heck yeah. That's awesome. So, <laughs> maybe Meryl Streep saw Midsummer because she and... Florence Pugh worked together on Little Women, and Meryl Streep is like, oh, this thing rules. I mean, I wouldn't put it past her. That movie is amazing. Yeah. I mean, Meryl is one of the people in Hollywood who, like, likes movies. Yeah, that is true. She's not like Robert Pattinson, I don't think, where she's, like, watching everything and lurking on film Twitter, but she likes movies. Yeah, you can tell that she, like, she watches movies. Speaking of movies, should we start talking about the romance of Marry Me? (laughs) We probably should. Uh, Marry Me opened in third place behind Death on the Nile. And week two of Jackass Forever, and in fourth place was Spider-Man No Way Home, which is the third highest grossing film ever in North America. Wow. People love it, though. It's The Force Awakens, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man No Way Home. So Avatar got kicked out of the top three? Avatar's out of the top three in North America. It's still number one worldwide. Okay. Avatar Avatar got bumped down to number two worldwide by Endgame. But then when the Chinese box office reopened, they did like, let's bring back all the hits to bring people back to the movies. And that gave Avatar enough money to retake Avengers. Mm. It's funny. I don't like Avatar and I didn't like that it was the number one. But now for some reason, I am more pro Avatar being number one than... It was an original property. <laughs> Endgame. Yeah. Avatar 2. Coming Avatar soon. 2. James Cameron, best director. Let's go. Oh my God. All right. So every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to keep us on track. Will... Will you take us to point one? All right, so point number one. We start off with two uh, relationships of a sort. Owen Wilson is divorced. It seems reasonably amicably. Yeah, it seems amicable, not friendly. Yes, like they, I think that's right. He never is shown actually engaging with his ex-wife. She's on screen for five seconds picking up their daughter. And yeah. he didn't know that she was together with someone else, except through a student on his math team telling him about it. How long do you think he has been divorced? I think it's a while. I think it's at least two years, probably closer to like four or five. Yeah, like I think it's been a good long time and he has kind of settled into yeah. his new life. Where the only thing he cares about are his kid and his math team. And his dog, Tank. That's true. Tank is a good name for a bulldog. One of my favorite moments of this movie is during the credits at the end where Cat is feeding something to Tank and he lunges. And you can tell that that was not a plan and that J-Lo is actually taken aback. And then everyone starts laughing for real. Uh, one of my favorite moments in this movie is also during the credits. Because I have never felt more seen in a movie than in a sequence where something... Kind of amazing is happening. Kat Valdez is practicing her show. And Owen Wilson is on the side, half paying attention while grading. <laughs> that is you. <laughs> so yeah, so we have Owen Wilson. He's divorced. He's a math teacher. His one true love is his math team. 
Then we have Kat Valdez, who is are, seems to be like the biggest pop star in the world, but maybe not the most relevant. Yes, like she is a major figure, but she at this point is as famous for doing Vitamix spots. Yeah. In my mind, she's kind of like a Madonna level, where she was probably like absolutely huge. I think that's probably releases music, but is I mean, she has twenty million people paying attention to this. That is a lot. It's also like a major concert that's live streaming, which isn't a thing that really happens. So I think the novelty of that would also bring eyeballs. Yeah, I mean, it's great PR move. Yeah. So she has been dating Bastion, who seems like he's on the rise. Yeah, I mean, I also think that it's not uninspired by where j-lo and maluma are in their careers i think it's absolutely inspired by it like i said i think there's a real meta narrative to this movie where you get a sense of like again i think j-lo is doing a lot of good stuff but you hit a certain age and you're kind of looking around like where am i where was i like what do i do now Mm -hmm. so she's been dating bastion and they are going to get married in the middle of a concert which will be their first live performance of their new song marry me which is not Chase Dream's song, Marry You at Recess, but that is the song that's been stuck in my head for the last week. The problem with the Marry Me song is the only part I know is from the trailer where it's just a Marry Me on marry repeat. Me, marry me, yeah. yes. That's what I have stuck in my head. I have to Marry You at Recess, which I know all the words of. <laughs> of course you do. So, yeah, we get these stories in parallel of her, you know, getting ready for the concert, some interaction with Bastion. Uh, he's hot. Yeah. And then um, Charlie is not having the best relationship with his daughter, but not bad, just normal, like, 12-year-old stuff. This is a great space for Owen Wilson. I know you kind of said it earlier, but, like, him as just kind of, like, affable dad type. I did not see Wonder, which I think is the first time he really played that character, but I really enjoyed him in this movie. I mean, he clearly, (laughs) he lives in a place that costs conservatively $5 million. (laughs) So yeah, he lives in like a two-story townhouse in Brooklyn. Yeah. So then he is getting made fun of by his daughter and his friend Parker, played by Sarah Silverman for being lame. And then Sarah Silverman... (laughs) Sarah Silverman is the counselor at the school where Owen Wilson is a math teacher. And And she she likes to heckle students. Yeah, she's funny, I gotta say. But she has three tickets to the Marry Me concert for her, her current girlfriend, and her girlfriend's ex. (laughs) A level of pettiness that is never really followed up on again. Like, she's never that petty again. Yeah. But but I kind of love it. But it clearly is that she, her girlfriend gets back together with her ex. So now she has two available tickets and takes Charlie and Lou, his daughter, to see the Mary B concert. Marry me, marry me, because yes. he wants to seem cool to his daughter. Right. This whole thing is, like, the point one is just one outrageous contrivance after another. And so I'm seeing it in a crowded theater opening night. And for, like, the first 20 minutes of this movie, I am laughing at it. Like, I gotta say... I came around to really liking it, and I was still enjoying it at that point, but I was like, this is patently absurd. The motions it has to go through to get to its plot, because then at the concert, Sarah Silverman has a sign that says, Marry Me. Marry me, marry me, say yes. Because Marry Me is the song that Jennifer Lopez will be performing as she gets married. Marry me, marry me, say yes. Then Sarah Silverman has to like, get her phone out of her bag. Yeah, because she's going to live stream it to make her now ex jealous, of course. So while she gets her phone, she has Owen Wilson hold her sign. 
so that when Kat Valdez has her breakdown on stage, she sees Owen Wilson at the concert because of a pretty significant contrivance holding this sign because of a pretty significant contrivance that says marry me because that's the name of the song. I do like that we get a full like number from both JLo and Maluma as part yes. of the concert before the marry me thing happens where she right, finds the marriage out is clearly cheated. the climax of the concert. Yeah, so she sees on page six that there's a video of him cheating on her with her assistant. So then she goes on is like on the elevator up to the stage when she sees this. She gets on stage, asks for the house lights to be turned on, gives some speech about how love is dead, and then sees Owen Wilson and says, yes, I will marry you. I will marry you, man who is holding a sign that says marry me. Why would you be holding that here? I don't know. Yeah. So then he very kindly is like, she needs assistance in this moment and goes on stage and goes through the ceremony with her as the gay backup dancer who is performing the ceremony says, will you take some guy? He's repeatedly asking them both not to do it. Yeah. And keeps referring to him as like some guy and this dude. Yeah. But they do it. They get off stage and he's just like, all right, you good? You good? Bye. (laughs) They drive back to her place. They have a conversation basically where he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And then he's like, do I need to call someone for you? Like that is clearly his concern. Right. And that's where I think some people see the trailer for this movie and then are like, what? And now they're married and they have to like figure out how to live together. And it's like, no, he is (laughs) recognizing a mental health crisis (laughs) and trying to address it. Yeah. And so then he goes home. But the next day, this brings us to point two. It's an insane situation. I say we offer $5,000 and let it all blow over. Or I could stay married to him. Huh? I started something last night, and if I don't finish it, I'll look crazy. We gotta get out in front of this. Samuel Tarly shows up. Yeah, Samuel Tarly shows up. Cat's manager. John Bradley is his name. We'll just cut, like, basically, like, we'll cut him a check for 5K. He'll go away, and then we'll just move on with our lives. And she's like, no, I want to play this out. Not actually sign papers. Yeah, and her whole thing is like, again, let's engage with this as reasonable adults. She's like, if I marry a rando on stage and then, like, break up with said rando immediately, I become a joke. So she's like, let's accept the weirdness of it, but ride it out for a while. Until we can just, like, quietly uncouple when people lose interest. Right. And so they're, like, basically set up for three months. He will pretend because then they'll host a fundraiser for his school. And so it is, as you said earlier, a full Can't Buy Me Love scenario at this point. Yeah, full Can't Buy Me Love. I like that they never actually sign papers. Yeah, because who wants that contract floating around? Yeah. Actually, wait, do they sign papers? You know what there is? There There is is a a contract because... Uh, Samuel Tarley is worried when Owen Wilson refuses to take the check at the end of the faux relationship because he's like, if if this guy doesn't take the check, then he's not bound by the NDA. Yeah, so it's not a wedding, but there is a contract between the two of them to for this faux relationship. And they like do press conferences, and Jennifer Lopez is making basically the argument from the end of the proposal where she's like, "Look, we're married, and now we get to know each other," and like that sounds exciting. Yeah, and I mean, he's charming in the interviews. He's good at it. He's good at this. There's no reason for him to be good at this, but they force him to get an iPhone to replace his flip phone. They pushed his anti-social media a little too far for me. (laughs) So far. 
so that he can get a schedule. Basically, they manage his life, but he's allowed to teach still. Yeah, and he clearly is like, I mean, realistically, like, he went for it at first because he saw a person in need. And at this point, he's like, I guess I'll do it to, like, continue helping her out and for the money. Which, again, wouldn't even be for him, but that's okay because he's clearly heir to an enormous fortune. Yeah. Given his house. <laughs> he does not need the money. But we also have this dynamic where, like you mentioned, he is like a borderline Luddite where he has a flip phone. He has no presence on the internet. And Kat Valdez, of course, is a social media star. She's always doing, like, Instagram Live videos for Vitamix and stuff like that. And so, you know, they're just different kinds of people and they're trying to figure each other out. But at this point, they're fake relationship is entirely just scheduled events. So, like, they'll show up, they'll, like, act like they arrived together, and then leave, and they won't interact at all between that period. But that doesn't go on for very long as we move into point three, which is basically when they actually start engaging. Yeah, they actually start talking to one another. But if I'd ever leave you, how could it be in autumn? How I'd leave in autumn, i never... And that really begins thanks to Kat, who is the primary driver of this movie. Yeah. It is her story more than it's anyone else's story. Yeah. So she starts talking to him. She eventually starts, you know, sending the camera away so they can have real moments together. Yeah, she's like asking him questions about his life. Like, who is this dude that yeah. I'm nominally married to? And then she, you know, asks to go see his apartment. So she like skips a party to go to his apartment and then sends the guy, the filming guy out and they just have a nice dinner together. Yeah, she constantly has a guy with a video camera following her around just to create like B-roll for future documentaries or whatever. Right. And then she goes to Paris. And then this is where you get the scene from the trailer where they're having a conversation that ends with, like, call me when you're lonely. And then she calls him 10 seconds later and says, I'm lonely, which was sweet. It's it's sweet, yeah. I, I like this build. And they do a good job building it. There's not a huge sense of time in this movie. It's very hard to tell how much time is passing. But then, basically, he keeps convincing her to do things and eventually says, like, skip going to wherever and come to the school dance with me. Yeah, part of it, I think the movie does a good job of illustrating the loneliness and the isolation that can come with, like, high levels of fame. Mm -hmm. Where she has people around all the time, but they're, like, all people who work for her. They're not people that she can talk to about who are invested with her fully as a person. Like, even if they care about her, they still have investment in her as a brand or as an employer or something like that. Yeah. There's nobody that she's a peer with. Because even the person that she's seen as the closest to at the beginning is the assistant who sleeps with Bastion. Right. And, you know, she spends her nights, like, jetting around the world to make a lot of money doing private shows for rich people who can pay her to come and do it. And, like, great, you got that money, but that itself is a pretty lonely thing. And so it's one of those private shows, I think, in Japan yeah. that she reschedules to go and It said she is going to that dance as a chaperone. Yeah. Um, I do like that they force the students to check their phones. And so she's able to like actually be at the dance. The funniest thing is when they arrive at the dance and are ambushed by the acapella group. <laughs> I know. The absolute chokehold that acapella used to have totally flashed back in my eyes when they started singing. And I was like, this is not becoming glee. It was so funny though. 
Because it is exactly the kind of, like, earnest move that an acapella group would think is flattering. Yeah. <laughs> and then the teacher, I mean, the acapella coach is just so ridiculous. You mean the, the fellow architect of song? Yeah, the fellow architect of song. So then she obviously performs at the dance. It's nice. She performs nice. with the, like, music teacher, acapella coach. Who plays guitar, and then things are going nicely, and after the dance is when they go home and have sex to Camelot. Um... But this kind of brings us to point four in terms of, like, dramatic beats. Yeah, I would say from there on, they're continuing to have a relationship. Like, they spend a weekend at a house she has, I don't know, on Long Island somewhere. the Hamptons, probably. Yeah. So they're just, like, actually dating now. Mm -hmm. They're, like, having sex. They're spending time together. Seems nice. Yeah. But then, while they're training, I think she's, like, helping them train for the mathalon. Right, because she... Figure, she's cracked that the thing you need to succeed in math is dance. Is dancing. Just to, like, get out of your head so you can do math. But then Bastian shows up. And something she has mentioned before is she has never been nominated for any awards. So she f- feels that her music career isn't taken seriously. Now, I looked it up and I was like, wait, has JLo never been nominated for, like, any major awards? And then... She has a total, including some, you know, less prestigious ones, but she has a total of 632 award nominations and 207 award wins, including two Grammy nominations. And you will be happy to know, Will, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress for Hustlers by AARP's Movie for Grownups Awards. Mark, you don't have to tell me that. I was going to say this character is clearly not so much a J-Lo as she is a Rene Russo, somebody who's well-known and generally liked but didn't win an award until she won at the AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards in 2014. She has won so many LGBTQ awards. GLAAD, HRC, British LGBT Awards. I mean, good for J-Lo. I know. She has two Golden Globe nominations. She has two Grammy nominations. Like, she, yeah. So that but part Cal is Valdez not... just has the one. Yeah, when Marry Me is nominated for a Grammy. And at that point, she and Bastion start going on the awards circuit, you know, going on talk shows, stuff like that. And there's been hints of, like, he's a little insecure when they're dating that she's going to fall back in love with Bastion because Bastion has not stopped chasing her in the public eye. And this song that they've been nominated for is entirely about their relationship. Right. But at this time, she writes another song and performs it. Uh, what's the song called again? I don't remember. I, I liked it, though. <laughs> it's good. I'm pulling up the Marry Me soundtrack. It is called On My Way, and it's a, a darn good song. Mm-hmm. So then she and Bastian are on the press circuit, and basically Owen Wilson's like has the moment where I don't fit this life. As soon as reality snapped back into her career, he no longer fit. He didn't enjoy going to all the parties and stuff, and so he's basically like, okay, we're Yeah. He circles back to the original terms of their relationship, the can't buy me love situation, and basically says, all right, we did it. You're not a joke anymore. I'm glad this worked out for you. See you around. And again, (laughs) where this movie works is that there is not some stupid fight. They are just adults trying to engage with each other as reasonable as possible. It's the most reasonable breakup in a romantic movie I've ever seen. And it works. You're like, yeah. So he's convinced himself that 
they had a, a literal contract and the contract has been fulfilled. And like, probably in his head, he's like, and I like got out over my skis, but like we did what we were supposed to do. What I like is he does the like classic, oh, I'm going to reject the money. I'm insulted by it. And th- but then when... <laughs> Um, and John Bradley is like, you must take You have this to money. accept this because of the terms of the contract. He just goes, okay, and accepts the money, which is the normal, rational thing to do and not leave her hanging. Marry me good. So yeah, they're broken up. And then she goes on Fallon, who's been shown making fun of her a lot. Mark, did you know that this film was released by NBC Universal? I did. And boy, does this movie want you to know that. This movie that... Of course, premiered simultaneously on NBC Universal's Peacock streaming platform, uh, features uh, Jimmy Fallon multiple times, a reporter from CNBC, the Today Show multiple times. I would say that this movie probably made up its budget at least 10% in product placement. <laughs> but it's like, it's all Vitamix and NBC. There's some other ones dropped in too. Like they name things a lot. Oh, of course, the Learner and Lois State paid to have Camel. <laughs> <laughs> Jackie was huge for them, and they wanted to double down on it. But I will say there were moments, even outside the Vitamix stuff, where it definitely was like name dropping some products, and I was like, okay, you were definitely banking on not having a huge box office success <laughs> and making up a little money. It was the NBC stuff that got me. I mean, she even prominently displays a necklace she wears that says Sing, and as we all know, Sing is a universal property. Oh my god. Yeah, so she goes on Fallon. It has a little, like, face. It's in the shape of Buster Moon's face, right? (laughs) We all know Buster Moon, the koala played by Matthew McConaughey in the Sing movies. No, we don't. Maluma, Sing 3, it all comes together. I hate this. It was bad. Jimmy Fallon, bad in this movie. His jokes about her are so terrible, realistically, honestly. Yeah, Fallon, no good. So she goes on the show, and they haven't announced that they're back together, but everyone assumes that Bastion and Cat are back together, and that she wrote this song about him. And he had also written a song in the interim that's, like, clearly about, like... It's called Second Chance. Yeah. So Fallon, I think somewhat reasonably, I hate him in this movie. He does the thing that I hate about his TV show for most of it. But he's like, look... Marry Me is about the two of you being together. Since you broke up, you have both written love songs. Bastion's is clearly about you. Yours seems like it's about him. When are you going to just tell us all you're back together? I think it's a reasonable question to ask in this circumstance. No, I think it's honestly good talk show hosting in that one moment. But this brings us to point five, where during a commercial break... Cat has a realization, which obviously she knew. It was it was portrayed as she like put it together in this moment, but it's not like okay. Every heartbreak was a yellow brick road, pointing me straight, just taking me home. I was never lost. I was just passing through. I was on my way to you. The thing is, it's the moment where she's forced to make a choice. Where she is forced to either say, yes, I'm getting back together with Bastion, or no, I am not. So she says to Fallon, I didn't write this song about him. And then she runs to the airport, gets I would love to see, like, the next five minutes of that episode of The Tonight Show, where Fallon has to come back and be like, so Cat Valdez is no longer with us. (laughs) Yeah. 
One of the funniest things in this movie to me is watching her, like, try and run in this skin-tight latex dress through the airport (laughs) to get on a plane to Peoria, Illinois. Yes, so apparently the national math championships are in Peoria, Illinois. Which tracks and is hilarious. Yes. Uh, There's a really great piece in Vulture that I'm going to post on our Twitter this coming week where Rachel Handler, who is from Illinois, (laughs) writes about all the logic of the different flight and like bus machinations that get her there, basically concluding that none of it makes any sense. Yeah, because I mean, I think she has to fly into Champaign, which makes sense that they'd have an airport because Illinois is a huge school. So Champaign does have it. I learned a lot from this article. Champaign does have an airport. In the movie, they say she is flying into Peoria. Yes. But it is clearly the Champagne Airport. You can tell because of the signs that say Champagne. And the fact that the bus they get on is called, like, the Champagne Express. According to this article, it is then about 90 minutes from Champagne to Peoria. So if we are to believe the cross-cutting we see, there's just no chance she gets there before they leave the math competition. But that doesn't matter. I the point is... could not care less. <laughs> she rushes to the airport. She tries to buy someone's ticket, which apparently you can't do. So then she manages to get the last plane. When she gets there, she hijacks a public bus, which I do not approve of, and makes it to the math competition just in time for the school to have lost to Udkar Shambudkar's, like, incredibly hostile middle school math team. That math team should have been disqualified. Yeah. They cheated. When they were heckling while Owen Wilson's kid was doing a problem, on they stage. Been- That's not allowed. Restart this round. New question. New question. That kid should have been removed, and the coach who didn't do anything to stop him also should have been removed. The coach who basically encouraged it. Right. I did not like that the coach got a happy ending. Yeah. He gets together with Sarah Silverman? No. uh, Sarah Silverman gets together with some other random woman. Uh, He gets together with the mean assistant who is mean to Owen Wilson. Oh, right, yeah, the mean people get together. But yeah, so she shows up right after that, and then basically is like, the romantic gesture, I miss you, and holds up a sign that says, marry me. me, me, And then holds up another sign that says, again. And then they kiss, and then they get married, and they show little flashes of them being integrated into each other's lives. Yeah, it seems good. I was happy. So, Mark, do you find this romance believable? (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) What? No. I couldn't care less that this will get a low believability score, but boy, the contrivances necessary to get him to the concert, to be holding this sign for her to choose him out of everyone. It's a lot, but boy, did I not care, and boy, did I like it. Yeah. So where would you rate this where zero means you believe none of it and 10 means you believe all of it? Like a two. Maybe a three, because they're both nice people, and so it makes sense that once they get to know each other, they stay t- they get together. I think I'm a three for the same reason. This is like in the while you were sleeping zone for me, where like it's an incredibly sweaty premise, but the relationship makes sense. Right. Do you think that Charlie or Kat is dateable? So I think broadly, yes, but I also think I would have frustrations with both of them. Mm-hmm. I think Charlie, generally a good dude. One, I don't date teachers because I want to be able to talk about stuff that's not school. Two, he is, like, kind of obnoxious about social media. Yeah, he takes it way too far. The flip phone is what made me be like, okay, this is this is over the top, and now it's kind of annoying. Like, I'm glad that he doesn't impose that on his kid. Right. But, yeah. So, he's like a maybe. And, like, Kat, again, seems like a great lady, but... Too famous. <laughs> too famous. I don't want to deal with that. No, I could not handle this. I did like when Charlie... 
<laughs> when Charlie was asked about his schedule, they're like, how do you know your schedule? He's like, well, I'm busy from eight to three every day. Yeah. <laughs> and then I am free unless I have math club. And they're like, well, we're going to need you during the day sometime. And he's like, well, I have to teach. So no. Yeah. Do you think they would stay together? I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's the, <laughs> they're this so movie, cute. Yeah. They're so cute. She has a great relationship with his daughter. It's Yeah, they're cute. definitely going to stay together forever. I, uh, yeah. If you had to pick one person in this movie to date, who would you pick? I have no idea. I would pick Colin Calloway, played by Samuel Tarley himself, the manager, because I think he does a great job of, he's clearly a good manager, because look at how famous she is, but he also does seem to care enough but maintains a professional-ish relationship. Yeah, I think you're right. I think he's the best answer. Because everyone else is either, like, mean to Charlie or a child. <laughs> yeah. Or Sarah Silverman. <laughs> or the acapella teacher, which is just a no. Yeah. Now, Mark. <laughs> yes. Should the 2022 film Marry Me be adapted into a stage musical? And why is the answer yes? I mean, they have the songs. <laughs> it's already there. It's already there. It's mostly a musical already. J-Lo did a bunch of interviews where she was like, this was a very different album to construct because, like, you couldn't just write a bunch of songs. You had to be like, what fits the story? And I'm like, J-Lo, you wrote a musical. I think that it would only work if J-Lo was the lead. I don't know if I want to see this without J-Lo in it. I think, but like, I think it, could it only work. works as a movie with J-Lo in the lead. I think on stage you could do it. Yeah. I, I would want, this would be a good, like, musical for tourists to see on Broadway. It would. I think you could also cycle out Broadway celebrities as well. And, I mean, if you wanted to, like, really go ham on it, you would, like, let them do, like, semi-substantial reinterpretations of the songs. Yeah, basically you would need to kind of switch the genre for whoever you have. Which would be cool. Like, give us the country, marry me. Give us the, like, traditional Broadway belter, ma- yeah. marry me. Because, I mean, the music in this is very much, like, as the Grammys call it, Latin music. Wow, country, marry me would be a whole thing. Oh, my God. Just the way that that audience would respond to this scenario. <laughs> Honestly, it's almost more believable in the country world. Well, this was a delight. I'm so glad that we put this on the schedule. A lot. Yeah. I'm looking forward to more movies this year. There's a lot of good stuff coming up uh, and some uh, some nonsense, too. Yeah. And that's good to have. Next week, we will be covering a movie that was, I would say, mostly unfairly missed when it came out. Very much so. And it's available now on Amazon Prime called Sylvie's Love, starring Tessa Thompson. And Namdi Asamuga. Yes. Who is real hot. And very good in it. Yeah. Sylvie's Love is really great. Really recommend that. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts, to help other people find the show. All right, last question, Will. What's the best piece of dating advice we got from Mary B? I think setting clear boundaries can actually help a relationship to grow. Like Owen Wilson saying, he would not like a camera to follow them around all the time they're together. Don't impose your lifestyle or values on your partner, but be willing to attempt to live life from their perspective, where she forces him onto social media and he forces her to take a day without her staff. But it seems to bring them closer together. Yeah, I think that's a good point too. So there we go. Uh, Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. My friends think I'm crazy, but I was thinking maybe I want to marry you at recess. 